0: Welcome to the Taiwanese Diaspora Podcast, where we use personal storytelling to connect people of Taiwanese heritage from all around the world. I am Cynthia, and I'm excited to use this podcast platform as a way to explore what it means to be Taiwanese X. This is episode 36. This episode is bilingual in Mandarin Chinese and English. I'm really excited to welcome Grace to the show today. She is the daughter of a retired Taiwanese diplomat So she'll tell us about the adventures of growing up in different countries around the world and learning different languages and the travels that she got to do. She currently lives in New York, and you will hear us talk about podcasting because Grace had expressed some interest in doing one. And I'm really excited to announce that she recently launched. It's called Stories from a Nomadic Citizen. So please go check it out. 用这个平台来跟华侨华裔的台湾人 36集 Today we talking about podcast. He's interested And Go His podcast called Stories from a Nomadic Citizen. Welcome to the show.
1: Awesome. So, thanks for reaching out. I don't, do you work full-time and then you do this podcast on the side? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that is challenging. I've actually, I've had the thought of like starting kind of like, more like a diary setup of a podcast. Do it! For a while, and then... It's been like half a year and I recorded the first episode and I just haven't done anything with it. So I like props to you, you know, for fitting it in with, with, you know, a full-time job.
0: Oh, thanks. Well, I still encourage you to do it. And something that, you know, like you read all the blogs that are like, well, you need to make sure your podcast is consistent and you're putting material out, blah, blah, blah. But like, eh. (laughs) it doesn't have to be consistent as long as you get it out. And It's like, whatever whatever you're right. good with, if that like lessens the pressure
1: yeah I think once you know the first one is out then I think it'll be easier a bit easier
0: yeah what what topic are you interested in
1: well I'm actually like related to sort of identity and being like nomadic um, third culture but not really focusing just on that I think it's more of just like diaries from someone like myself so Actually, the first episode I recorded was about running. So it's not anything really related um, to directly uh, pertaining to oh, identity and, and sense of belonging. But I talked about running just because it's something that uh, makes me feel like I belong in the community and, and motivates me and also has, me, has made me feel more connected to New York City as a place. Yeah. So that's kind of like, it does tie into it, but less, less directly.
0: Cool. Before COVID and stuff, did you take part in the like... Run the nine races so you can get run in the New York Marathon.
1: Yeah, I did. So I actually ran the New York City Marathon last year. Cool. And, and yeah, that was an amazing experience. So I did the, the nine plus one through the New York Runners yeah. the year before. So that got me the guaranteed entry for the twenty nineteen marathon. Congratulations. Like, thank you. Really, really grateful that I was able to do it last year because obviously this year, yeah, it's nothing is happening.
0: Yeah. <laughs> in that sense. What other marathons have you done? I've done three and I've, and then I got injured doing something else, but I'm looking for like race inspiration yeah. because everyone's always like, oh, have you run the Boston? I'm like, no, you have to qualify for Boston.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's tough. Or you just have to raise a lot of money um, through the charities, but no, I've only done the New York city marathon and I actually got injured a few weeks before the marathon uh, (laughs) during training. And I, I mean, I still, I still did it. I didn't run like to my full capability, but yeah, I mean, obviously there's there's like you know the six the majors right the Abbott majors those six big yeah. marathons. No, I I did mainly just like the ones in New York City, the other like half marathons and the shorter ones. But right now I don't I don't even know like what I could do like half marathon distance again because I have a hip injury. So uh, yeah, we'll see. But I I, yeah, I love running and racing the adrenaline. That's awesome. The
0: first two marathons I did were smaller and I think I like those better because I did Chicago before I got injured um, back in like 2018 I guess was the last one and I was just like there's too many people
1: (laughs) yeah I loved it I guess like to me it's like New York City is just full of people anyway (laughs) yeah that's true how's COVID in New York yeah I mean the right now indoor dining is still allowed Um, I'm actually planning on meeting a friend later today to do outdoor dining even though the real field temperature is like 28 degrees which is scary Um, but yeah everything is still open and yeah I mean I would say like it's there's still like the holiday atmosphere and spirit all the decorations are up so cool okay so let's get started I mean you've lived
0: everywhere so what languages do you want to talk in today
1: well I can do English and Mandarin but my Mandarin to be honest is as someone who's actually attended local school in Taiwan and First to fourth grade, and I've lived in Taiwan longer. It's it's really not that great, (laughs) but I can I I can I would say yeah, my English is definitely more fluent, but I could do both. Okay, all right. So like, let's start with a standard
0: introduction then, and then we'll go from there.
1: Yeah, all right. So my name is Grace Cho, and I'm currently based in New York. I'm my parents are from Taiwan. I am from Taiwan, um, Taiwanese citizen. But I was born in South Africa, so I'm actually also a South African citizen. And I moved around a lot because my dad used to be a diplomat for Taiwan. He's now retired, and my parents both are living in Taiwan now. Um, and in terms of sort of life trajectory where I've lived in, South Africa, then Brazil, uh, a little bit in the U.S., then to Taiwan, that was when I attended elementary school, first grade to fourth grade, Uh, then back to Brazil, then to Portugal, that was around middle school, back to Taiwan to finish my last two and a half years of high school in in Qingzhou. Then I very fortunately got a scholarship to go to George Washington University in Washington, D.C., and then have been living in New York for the most part since, I also did a year abroad during university in Spain. So, a lot of moving around. In Chinese, so, what's so 在國外長大那時候 so, he was 只好的大部分是在
0: New York,
1: Yes, it's a bit So I commit to mixed feelings. I What continent do you want to start on today? I mean, I guess chronologically it could make sense to start in Africa, but because I lived in South Africa for the first eight months of my life only, uh, frankly speaking, I, I know very little about it, considering that I am a South African passport holder, which I sort of feel like I'm a fake South African. But yeah, it depends on what we want to talk about. So I guess
0: like one cool thing would be the Taiwanese communities in the different places you lived. I've heard that there are at least some Kujia Tuan in Brazil. Yeah. But I don't really know about any other places. And I know there's like a Kujia Tuan in like Madrid, Spain, because I had lunch with them when I lived in Spain for six months.
1: Most of the places that my dad was posted to had uh, quite a large Taiwanese community in South Africa I know there's a period of time before we went there, which was in the late 80s to early 90s, uh, there was sort of a wave of immigration. Same with Brazil. There was just a period of time. I can't remember exactly which decades, but there was sort of like a scheme, and then a lot of Taiwanese and other, other Asian nationals immigrated there. So in South Africa, again, this is not something I remember. This is something my parents have told me there, but there were always a lot of luncheons and dinners with the local communities. And at the time it's, it was a very interesting time when my dad was there because Taiwan had formal diplomatic relations with South Africa. And so the relationship was obviously much better than much closer than it is now, because there's no longer formal diplomatic ties, like with most countries uh, in the world. So when we were there, it was was much sort of, I guess, more special treatment um, for my family, and I know my parents got to meet some really big names, important people. I know that Desmond Tutu came to our house. Uh, Yeah, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, and uh, I know that my dad had met the former president, uh, the clerk, I I believe that's his name. So, yeah, it, it was, I think, out of all the places that my parents were like lived in through my dad's work, that was the most memorable time for my parents because of just the connections they were able to make, and also connecting with the local community. I know my mom, who you know wasn't working, she had to give up her job to be able to essentially travel around with my dad. Uh, she was able to make friends with local Taiwanese community, and I know she had taken flower lessons from someone who had immigrated to, to South Africa. Same with my, my brother and sister who are a lot older than me. They were attending secondary school then already. And there were yeah definitely other, other Taiwanese there. Um, I would say, unfortunately, many of them have left. In terms of now compared to then, it's a lot less safe and yeah, crime rates have gotten pretty high. Uh, and I think, unfortunately, sort of asians might be targeted a little more not because of that's really racism but perhaps just you know assume, the assumption that they have more wealth so i know yeah people have left but i also know that there's been a lot of people who, who've actually those with taiwanese roots who've been elected um not a lot but i know there are some who've been elected to the like, south african parliament which is I find pretty interesting
0: that's fascinating what city were you in Cape Town oh that's really cool I spent or like a couple of weeks there doing a school project how did you like it I don't think I knew what to expect and so we were working at a rural hospital outside of Cape Town and so we were staying in the city of Cape Town which is pretty I would say like wealthy fancy feeling but then the moment you leave kind of basically like this city the wealth disparity becomes pretty obvious. Um, so there were like yeah. a lot of gated communities on one side of the street and then shacks
1: or um, on the other yeah. side. Townships, is, yeah. It's, I only went back once in my life. So since I left in, when I was eight months old, I've gone back once and that was in 2010 um, for the World Cup, not just the World Cup, but that was an added plus. Yeah, I, I do remember that, of course, there is there is that single wealth gap, which is also... The case in Brazil and um, fortunately I, I had a nanny who I've still remained in touch with and when I went back uh, I, I stayed with her and it was sort of a very different experience than say if I would have just gone and maybe stayed at an Airbnb but um, yeah I'm grateful to still have some sort of connection there. From there you went to Brazil? Yes.
0: Do you also speak Portuguese?
1: Yeah I do but it's honestly so bad now. <laughs> it's so rusty. My listening skills are way better. If, if I you just want me to introduce myself, I could do that, but other than that, it's it's going to get like very grammatically incorrect. <laughs> okay. Well, if you don't mind doing a quick intro. <laughs> yeah. My nome é Grace. Eu sou de Taiwan, mas morei no Brasil Brazil uns 8 anos total, no São Paulo e Brasília comida brasileira, cultura brasileira, futebol, e espero que que possa voltar ao Brasil pronto.
0: That sounds so pretty. (laughs) (laughs) What was that experience like? I guess that's a little bit more memorable during your elementary school years, right?
1: Yeah, I, I was living in Brazil two separate times, so the first stint was in São Paulo, so that's the biggest city in Brazil, and Yes, I do have more memories there compared to in South Africa, but still a bit blurry because I left, I think, when I was five years old. So it was a period of between roughly one to five years old. But I have, yeah, certain memories. And again, pieced together by what my parents have told me. So it's really later on when I went back again during uh, fifth grade to middle of seventh grade where i have much clearer memories of of brazil as a country and my my schooling years and overall i i have yeah great connection and just very positive image of brazil as a whole in terms of its people it's it's also a very diverse country and has actually quite a large asian population what's I think what's interesting, especially for someone who's perhaps Asian American here, I think it's more common in the U.S. when uh, to be sort of assumed that you're Chinese um, versus other, like Japanese, Korean. Whereas in Brazil, you're almost always assumed to be Japanese. You know, when when non-Asians approach you, just because Brazil actually has the largest Japanese diaspora outside of Japan. Uh, so that's that's very interesting experience. And it's just overall a very welcoming place. And it's a very stark contrast, I think, in terms of culture, the way people interact with one another, especially people who don't know one another compared to Taiwan, because it's uh, just in terms of, I think, the level of friendliness, I'm not saying that Taiwan Taiwanese are not friendly. I think it's just a different kind of, of warmth and, and sort of curiosity amongst Brazilians, uh, but also the love for soccer and, like, dancing and just partying. Uh, but, you know, not partying like sort of the image you get in the U.S., but just mass sort of city-level, country-level parties with uh, the carnival festivals. So I think in a way, like, what I'm saying can sound very sort of uh, kind of a generalization and stereotype, but, yes, there's, there's definitely sort of downsides living in Brazil and with uh, current Brazilian government administration but overall I, I had an amazing experience there and overall just really actually miss it because I haven't been there since 2005 so what's it like moving after just a
0: couple of years like when you're in probably like the peak of like making friends at school and then having to just like peace out and leave is it common within the community that you had at school because you did go to an international school that most people would probably not be stationary for too long?
1: It is pretty transient, so people come and go. Every time I had to leave somewhere, it was really sad and, and I was distraught, <laughs> feeling like it was the end of the world. I remember when I went to, had to leave Taiwan to go to Brazil, at that time, I had forgotten English pretty much since I, I did... Uh, Go to school in in massachusetts for a little bit before i went to taiwan for first grade but then by by that point i was fluent in mandarin and chinese and so then i had to go to brazil attend an american school and and take um esl classes so that again was just sort of an adjustment period and obviously missed my friends back in taiwan then after a few years my chinese had gotten a lot worse And my English was all good and was picking up Portuguese a bit again. And then it was about time to leave once more to go to Portugal. And again, I was feeling very distraught. And I think, yeah, when I went to Portugal, I was telling my mom, I think I'm depressed. (laughs) You know, just being overly dramatic as a near teenager. But obviously at the time I didn't realize, oh, the only reason, I wouldn't have been in Brazil in the first place if it wasn't for my dad's job. So here I am feeling sad that I have to leave Brazil to go to Portugal, but the counterpart is, I would have never even come to Brazil, I would have just stayed in Taiwan, and so obviously looking back now, that's something I'm I'm really grateful for to have experienced, but it's definitely not ideal to have to uh, leave your school when you're a kid, when you're a teenager, especially in the middle of the school year, which happened three times for me. It's not something that we can really control it's it's kind of up to the government. So it's sometimes yeah, very short notice as well.
0: So do they give you a semester's heads up or is it literally just pack your bag, it's like time to go?
1: What I remember the most is when I left Brazil for Portugal and that was a shorter heads up, uh for for some reason. I think it was like maybe three months. Which yeah, I guess you know seems enough time, but for for me it seemed you know very very abrupt because I was expecting to finish my school year, which at that point, um, actually sorry, yeah, I was the middle the middle of eighth grade, and I was expecting to finish eighth grade in Brazil, but I didn't. But I think it, it depends on sort of what level in the foreign ministry you're in and. Uh, where you're going to so there's a lot of factors in play in terms of how much advanced notice there is with the very last stint when my dad left portugal to come back to taiwan that was a little different because my dad hit the retirement age so in a way it was okay you have you have to retire and my mom stayed on with me a little bit longer to allow me to at least finish the semester otherwise i would have had to leave Not just in the middle of the school year, but in the middle of the semester, which obviously is not ideal. Okay, so now we're in Portugal.
0: I'm guessing Lisbon, probably? Yeah. Is the embassy culture different in the different places you've lived? I guess, like, do you interact more with, like, the Taiwanese embassy folks, or do you interact more with other embassy kids and families? Definitely, definitely more
1: other embassy kids just through school, because, Rarely were there other Taiwanese kids around my age who were attending school with me. To be honest, the official name is not an embassy. We can't call them an embassy unless it's, it's about a nice country. Dozens of country dozens of countries or so. They're not that big. In in Brasilia, that would have been the equivalent of the embassy because that is the capital of Brazil. I remember again, Brasilia is a very weird place because it was built sort of kind of similar to dc in terms of it was built to be a capital and it was sort of like planned very structurally artificially so there aren't really that many buildings skyscrapers congregated in in one area it's very spread out but i just remember with the equivalent of the embassy which is typically called the taipei economic and cultural representative office yeah, i should have not called it embassy
0: wait like or at least in the american english so <laughs> yeah
1: I, I would love to call it embassy but yeah the official name is not anyway yeah the this is kind of like in a house compound so it almost seems like it's it's just a residential compound but it's in fact an office which i think was actually the case with many other embassies with the lisbon consulate equivalent it was more, more so like an office, but the the truth is, I don't actually remember these places that much because I, I really went into the office. Yeah, I spent much more time, obviously, in school and interacting with other students, who, yes, oftentimes their parents also worked as diplomats, and that, in a way, kind of helped strengthen some of my parents' relationships with with other, essentially, other countries. Diplomatic representatives because I was friends with their kids.
0: Portugal and Brazil business language is Portuguese. Is that right? Yeah. So, would you say culturally there are similarities when you were living there? Like, was it an easy transition in terms of food or like how people interact with each other? Like, when you were moving from Brazil to Portugal?
1: Yeah, it was definitely a much easier adjustment moving from Brazil to Portugal than from Taiwan to Brazil because I didn't have to necessarily learn a language again. I was going to another American school. I could speak English fluently. I could get by speaking Portuguese. However, the Portuguese language between Brazil and Portugal are actually quite different. Yes, Britain-wise, it's, it's pretty much the same, but the accent is so different that I think for, for Brazilians who go there the first time and hadn't experienced Portugal's Portuguese before it'll actually, it takes some time to get used to and you might not understand them in the beginning. So that was something that I had to get used to. There's a sizable Brazilian population in Portugal. So in terms of the food, there was a lot of Brazilian food options in in Portugal. And we happened to live close to a shopping center that had a really amazing food court. And there was a place that, I think it's called so Peso, which means... I guess translate literally would be only the weight or only by weight since it's, yeah, by the pound, you weigh the food. And I remember going there a lot because, yeah, it's, it's a Brazilian um, sort of churrascaria, Brazilian-style barbecue place. I, what I loved about Brazil, one of the foods was de queijo, which is Brazilian cheese bread. So there's a lot of that in, in Portugal as well, which, you know, I appreciated. Uh, it's it's gotten a lot more common to see this in the U.S. as well, which is great. Yeah, there's definitely I would say it was a much easier transition. But the school itself, I think, was even though it was an American school, still it was a lot smaller. It was so farther away. It was outside of Lisbon, so every day it took me quite a while to get there. I remember I was taking the bus and was on the bus for an hour each way every day. Whereas in Brasilia, it was a lot faster. Yeah, it, it was just overall a very sort of different kind of school environment. It's gets colder in Portugal than in Brasilia. So I remember, oh, everything was mostly indoors, even when it's the summer months. So it's just kind of like these more, I would say, superficial differences. But yeah, it, it definitely took less of a time to transition than when it was earlier on from Taiwan to Brazil. There's a Brazilian... Well, now it's takeout because it's covid
0: but before it's, you can either do like the buffet style or they come around yeah. with the skewers and it's like really right. close to my office so it's delicious
1: <laughs> i yeah. love the grilled yeah, pineapples I love it. yeah i in theory i would love to be vegetarian uh but then there are times like this if, if i say travel to brazil i don't think i could just not not
0: eat that so i've never been to portugal but i imagine lisbon in my mind, I'm like, well, Lisbon is probably similar to Madrid in terms of like winter. I mean, we're, we're in winter right now. When I think about winter, I think about the time I was in Spain for Christmas. I was there for six months. The entire, basically the entire month of December was very festive. And then you go into January and then there are other additional festivities because they celebrate three kings, like Los Reyes Magos in on january 6th yeah and so there's just basically like festivals everywhere all the time i imagine lisbon might have like similar things like christmas markets or holiday markets type of stuff did you get to experience any of that or is that basically just a spain thing
1: yeah i remember the the markets in portugal were quite nice the truth is and this is one of my one of my regrets is that when i moved around with my parents and living in these countries again i was quite young so i didn't really think much about making the most of learning about the local culture and and the language as well so as an example in my school in portugal i chose to take uh, portuguese as a foreign language level rather than the native level even though i based on my test testing results i could have opted in to take it with the native speakers I chose not to because I wanted the easy way out, didn't want to feel sort of shy and uncomfortable. Similar, right, similar to that is the fact that when you just mentioned about the holidays, to be honest, I I can't think of, I guess, a specific Portuguese holiday that is sort of representative of um, a particular facet of their culture. Because I, I, unfortunately, during my two short years there, I don't think I spent enough time trying to learn more about portugal Uh, of course i I went to a lot of places but yeah that's one thing i tried to change when i studied abroad in spain because studying abroad is, is sort of very intentional whereas when i moved around it was okay my parents my dad's job so not something i i do regret but there's so many small towns in Portugal, and, and that's one of the differences, right, compared to Brazil is that, yeah, there's so much more history. So I remember going to these different small towns on, on day trips over the weekends. Of course, you know, my parents would make more effort to, to try to take us or take me to places um, around the country. So in that sense, yes, I was able to sort of maximize the time there. But as, yeah, as, as I think I was about 13 to 15 living there, That wasn't really my priority, (laughs) so to speak, but I think out of all the places I've lived in, it's, it's the probably most beautiful. Again, I lived in Cape Town, but unfortunately I just don't have as sort of strong of of a memory there, but I lived, when I lived in Lisbon, I clearly remember the times when I went to Cascais, which is this sort of beachside area. Yeah, I went to the beach a lot because it was about half an hour from where I lived and it's just like a very sort of beautiful, diverse landscape, and it's not hard to get around. And that was the point in time when I was able to sort of travel around on my own, take trains um, to meet up with friends on my own. Whereas in Brasilia, first of all, I wasn't really old enough to do that, and second of all, that wouldn't have been an option. There isn't much of a robust transportation network, and again, like crime is more of a is a bigger issue in Brazil as a whole than compared to Portugal. So, even though I was really sad to leave Brazil at the time, looking back, I'm so glad I got to have those two years in Portugal, um, living in Europe. So it's it's just a very different experience. Actually, one thing I just remembered when you asked me about sort of differences between Brazil, Portugal, and and my experience, I do remember unfortunately, and I've you know I've experienced sort of, as as I'm sure all people of color have experienced racism to some degree. I remember we were in this town in Portugal, a smaller town, staying there for the weekend. And there was a man, I think he was a bit drunk, who was walking behind us, my parents and and me, and was just shouting, oh, like, go back to China, something like that. Um, And that's not the first time. It's it's happened to my mom in Massachusetts. But I don't recall that ever happening in Brazil. I'm not saying that... uh, you know, their, their racism does not exist in Brazil. But I think because there's a much I would say more prominent, sizable Asian population in Brazil as a whole, compared to Portugal, that I think I felt little more sort of in in the public eye um, than when I was in Brazil.
0: Taiwan.
1: Do you I born Taiwanese not... South African-born Actually, I'm not So it's a just oh, oh, 我我看看是誰啦,我看我想不想要就多加解釋,但是 所以你高中的时候就回台湾那你那时候知道 in 就是在國外住了一段時間你的爸媽需要在新竹科學園去工作然後或者是你的爸媽不過不是任何人想要去念就可以去念的 we have a lot 但是我们,对啊,我们付的钱不一样, 当然新族也不一样啦, 我不知道钱有没有改,
0: 但是比较不太一样的一个structure。所以你那时候已经决定要到外国读书,
1: so, 以前, sort of follow your father's footsteps, 其实我对国际关系很有兴趣。我想就是也是跟我我长大跟跟那么多国家接触然后语言和文化接触的 result。啊 但是因为我了解当台湾外交观是多么的困难我觉得当外交关系是很辛苦 so unfortunately, I don't want Kind of contradictory, right? Like, because Taiwan isn't you but no, I, mean, I don't think I'm still kind of like, I'm
0: still I'm still the of
1: I'm 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 i can. Unless I were to enter as a South African citizen or register, because I'm currently here in the U.S. as a Taiwanese citizen. Yeah, I don't think because, right, because <laughs> Taiwan's not in the U.N., but actually it's it's it was one of sort of my target organization when I didn't know as much back in the days. But I've been working in the private sector for a while now. Uh, I started out actually, interestingly enough, at a language services provider. It's a translation company. Called TransPerfect, and I remember I had applied to you know a few different translation-related roles after I graduated from college. Uh, it was just something that I'm interested in, of course, because of my exposure to different languages. I was curious about language translation itself, but also sort of other functions surrounding that and how exactly it worked. So, yeah, I started um, as a project manager at. Transfer, from, and This was in New York, and, and that's sort of what brought me to New York uh, a, a couple months after I graduated from college, and I was there for quite a while. Um, I transitioned into sort of a vendor management role later where I oversaw contracting, purchasing, and just relationship management of the translators that provided the translation service for us, and um, I actually recently earlier switched jobs to a information services firm, actually not nothing related to language services, but my role is still overseeing language services related contractors and providers and ensuring that our client services are met if they do have a language service need, even though it's not our core service. So yeah, I mean, it's really interesting how things, uh, in a way, I think <laughs> just on paper, it's all connected because of, obviously, my, my interest in languages. Yeah, it's a very niche industry that people don't often think about, but it's sort of everywhere because if you go to a website, uh, oftentimes it's going to be in different languages. And for, I would say, larger companies, you don't actually want to manage that on your own. I mean, for smaller companies as well. So then there are other companies that essentially would facilitate that.
0: Earlier, you said that you you went to Spain, and then you went back to Taiwan as an adult, both to either do school or work, but it was almost like an elective. But do you want to talk a little bit about how you made those decisions or like what you took out of those experiences?
1: Yeah, so with Spain, I I knew I wanted to spend actually a full year abroad because I knew how short one semester would be, and it probably wouldn't um, allow me to attain that language skills that i I wanted i was actually remember choosing between chile and spain i ultimately went with spain specifically actually that city that i chose it's called salamanca they're definitely known for their jamon serrano well when i first heard of it and and learned about it it wasn't you know that aspect that caught me although when i went there you know the the jamon is so good The food there is amazing. I honestly can't contest that. Yeah, what caught my eye about Salamanca is that it's known for its centuries old. Yeah, centuries old university. And And the Aqueduct, right? Is that the same location? No, I think no, that's a different one. I know what you're talking about. I can't remember the name of that place. I'm getting all my cities <laughs> mixed up. Okay. Sorry. No worries. I yeah, I remember I, I went to a another town known for the Aqueduct when I was there. But, yeah, Salamanca is known for its university and having a very, like, universe, like vibrant university life in, in a small town, which I really want to experience because I had lived in, I'd say, big cities all throughout my life up until then. I mean, at least sizable cities. Uh, and, for example, George Washington University doesn't necessarily have an enclosed campus. It's within a city. It's not as hectic as probably say NYU would be but again I wanted to have a very different experience and I know from my research Salamanca would provide me with that kind of like a college town life but in a very very old place and so that's why I chose there and I was very fortunate to have been paired with an amazing amazing host family. I know that not necessarily everyone had the most amazing experience with her host family i think it's usually neutral uh but with mine i was very lucky my host mom first of all is an amazing cook and and also taught us although i I don't think unfortunately i've retained (laughs) the lessons of for example making tortilla española Uh, there's another food called cocido that i that i really liked we would have lunch together every day. I actually had another roommate as well who was also in the study abroad program from a different university, and we were just one big family. It was them and two little boys at the time. They were about 10 and 13, and I was I was 19 or 20 then. I don't have younger siblings, so I saw them as my little brothers, and we would be talking obviously in Spanish all the time, and I, I just learned a lot from them Learned Spanish jokes Learned, yeah about Spanish pop culture and that was the kind of experience that I really forced myself to just sort of immerse myself in because like I mentioned previously in Brazil and Portugal I was in a way too young to grasp how lucky I was to be able to live in these countries and to have the experience of learning about the local culture and frankly speaking, I probably learned more about American culture living there than Brazil and Portuguese because I was studying at American schools, and that's where I was, you know, almost all day every day. So that's something again I, in a way, regret it and try to sort of reverse when I was in Spain. And I and I really happy with everything that I was able to do in Spain and and um, the level of Spanish that I had there which unfortunately has also <laughs> come down since uh, but I took all my classes in Spanish which obviously wasn't the case in American schools and really just had yeah a phenomenal time I think the fact that yeah again I could choose the kind of experience I wanted to have rather than before when well I was also just too young to really know better but you know I did make a decision to not take pushy's class with a native speakers when I could have and probably could have gotten much better, but, you know, that's that's something that, as a kid, you're not as aware of.
0: Do you want to do either a quick intro in Spanish or a quick closing in Spanish? Probably an intro in Spanish, and then we can close in Chinese.
1: Okay, yeah. Hola, me llamo Grace. Soy de Taiwán, mas he vivido en muchos países por todo el mundo, y... Vivi in España un año también en Salamanca, que, que me encanta, es una ciudad tan hermosa. Y espero que, que pueda seguir hablando y eh, practicando mi, mi español. I also know you asked about Taiwan, um, which I, I know I didn't talk about earlier. So moving back to Taiwan as an adult, that is actually not something I chose. I, couldn't stay in the u.s after my first year of working here so i was on a student visa and my company had actually chose to sponsor for my work visa but maybe you know that with the work visa there's a lottery system this is the h-1b visa and so i didn't get in the lottery and i had to leave and fortunately, I mean, it's sort of all like stars aligned. My company was opening an office in Taipei, a sales office, although I was not sales. That was something that was just already in the works. And they'd given me opportunity to work from the office there. So sort of remotely, but from its really, really tiny office with one other person. So in the beginning, of course, I was, you know, very sad to have to leave New York after only one year, which was kind of a honeymoon period. But again, looking back, I think it was a blessing in disguise to have been able to experience Taipei as an adult, which I actually hadn't lived in Taipei since I was in elementary school. Previously for high school, I was in Tsing And I worked in Taipei 101, which is also an amazing experience, Uh, was able to spend more time with my parents and also made some friends while I was there. So I think that period of time made me feel more grateful and connected to Taiwan as a country and as a culture than, than ever before, actually. Oh, it's so cool. Oh my gosh.
0: You're so young and have already lived such a full global citizen experience, I would say. Well, do you want to do any last pieces of advice or commentaries that you want to share with the listeners?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think one thing to take away is if you have the opportunity to live somewhere else or just have a different kind of experience even if it's in the same place just to seize it i didn't necessarily go into this previously but there have been times in life where i was sort of too scared to make a choice that would mean um that if it were to go wrong it could end up being something that okay i that i wouldn't want or you know for example i really want to stay here but i would have an opportunity to to go somewhere else to start anew um, even though I think a lot of people at my age are sort of settling down and and you know, getting married, but I think ultimately there's gonna be time to do that, but there's not really always going to be time to have a very different sort of life changing and and self enriching experience, and oftentimes that's done by yeah going outside of your comfort zone and especially if it's in a different place to just go for it. oh my gosh, it's such a pleasure to talk with you. <laughs> We can
0: officially close. So Grace. Oh, how do you say adventures? That's <laughs> what almost is like a risky that's like a negative connotation, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. 经历. Well that's experience. Jing <laughs> Oh, I always have trouble with you can, Chinese. You can see how you can see how bad my my chinese
0: (laughs) i feel like you need to give yourself more credit your language skills are like amazing
1: but you you never lived in taiwan right no i grew up here yeah so the fact that like your chinese is pretty fluent for someone who never lived there yeah but it's always
0: like the caveat right it's always like oh it's pretty good for an abc (laughs) 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 i think
1: context is important
0: yeah
1: uh let's try this again
0: 很感谢你今天来给我们讲你在各个国家做的这些经验希望你下一步 uh, Good luck on your next steps
1: <笑> Yeah,谢谢 luck on your next step 祝, 祝你下一步幸运 不是, 不是幸运, 听众有学到一些东西,或者是让他们有点类似大开眼睛那样子,然后想要多加体验别的文化和国家。Yeah,我们刚开始的时候,你说你想要做一个podcast,
0: so,我鼓励你开始,然后我们就可以大家一起捧场。Yeah,很感谢您。Actually,
1: mm-hmm. I'm curious, again, like how you decided to start this, and... I guess, how long it took for you to start and, and, yeah, maintain this. Yeah. Basically, everybody who I talk to for the podcast,
0: they're always like, tell me about your story. And I feel like at some point, I keep saying I'm going to make a podcast episode about it, but some of it's a little personal and I'm like not ready to do it yet.
1: (laughs) But I'll tell you
0: like individually. All right. I'm going to cut in here really quick. This is Cynthia editing. Grace and I talked offline for a bit and I'm just going to keep enough in here so the conversation makes sense for you guys. I think a lot about, like, identity. Somehow I think there's a theme, like, when you hit your 30s, maybe you start thinking about it more. That's, like, the pattern with the guests, I guess, I've had. I started it because I was feeling very whitewashed by the guy I was engaged to. And so I had started the podcast probably, like, six months before, breaking up as kind of, like, a mm-hmm. coping mechanism, I guess. Yeah. Um, to heal. Yeah, so it's part of that. And then I kind of took on this, like, other form where – like, I wanted to get Zhangbei the Guzi, but I think most of the people I'm interviewing now are in their late 20s to mid-late 30s. Yeah. So anyway, so that's how it started. But I want to not have the really bad engagement part be the genesis of it. So <laughs> I'm, like, waiting for a while right. for that to be, like, a smaller influence, I guess. Yeah. So that's the story.
1: <laughs> Honestly, oftentimes something really good comes out of, you know... Something bad or yeah, negative, for sure. And and actually, what you were mentioning about sort of pushing away like the Asian identity or yourself, or just like not associating with like Asian other Asian students, I I definitely it's happened to me. Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, I don't know. Some somehow it's also later on, like during my twenties, mid. I mean, I'm 29, and that I've become more proud of being Taiwanese. Yeah. I recently—I don't know if you listened to this podcast episode on modern love, the New York Times column, but they—you know—they have the podcast version. A couple episodes back, definitely, yeah, I'd recommend listening to it. It's about this Asian couple, and the piece was originally written by the man, and it was about their first date. It's an Asian American couple. Actually, the the guy's parents are immigrate from mainland China, and then the the girls is actually from Taiwan. So the main premise of the story was that how race played a factor and it was this Asian American this Taiwanese American girl telling the guy at the end of their first date this like marathon nine hour first date that she's never dated an Asian guy before and that this might be an issue and just like how he interpreted that and then how that became a non issue because they're now married. Oh,
0: that sounds beautiful. Yeah.
1: So it's it's very it's very interesting. But it was it's similar in the sense that, you know, this girl she grew up in Texas and um was kind of shutting the Asian side because partly because the way she was raised was that, okay, you want to try to blend in. Whereas with the guy, with his parents apparently, you know, they had told him to be proud of your heritage, be proud to be different. And so they even though are both Chinese or Taiwanese American had very sort of different feelings with their identity growing up, and and this um, essay talks about it. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, no, yeah. I think yeah, it's always it's always tough. Like when when it comes to issues of race and how that impacts your identity, and like in a mixed race relationship, I don't think it's it's not an issue even if the story sort of highlights that they're both Asian American, but they still had to grapple with the, you know the issue of race. Yeah, yeah, especially in this day and age. Such a pleasure talking to you. <laughs> yeah, no, I really enjoyed talking with you as well. And, um, yeah, like, I, again, it's obviously, I'm sorry that, you know, didn't work out with this guy. <laughs> but I'm so, I'm glad that, like, part of it contributed to you making this podcast. And I happened to come across it randomly. Again, this, it was like, I was searching for, like, Taiwanese related. Again, this is some I just, wanna sort of feel more connected to it. And this was one of the episodes or one of podcasts that came up and I just started listening to it randomly. So I'm happy to hear yeah, that. Yeah, really thankful that that you kept this up. Thank
0: you. Oh, thank you. There's very sporadic, but I keep telling myself <laughs> I'm gonna try to do more and try to not be so edit heavy on it. It's like cutting out the ums or cutting out my questions because I oftentimes get like I talk too fast and ask questions that have like a hanging, hanging question that's like not a statement, and I get like very self conscious about it.
1: Did you do any kind of sound editing before this, or you just sort of? I just picked it up went? on this.
0: Yeah, I okay. I know nothing about like audio productions, but it's been fun. Yeah. So please do yours, so then we'll have more stuff to listen to. Yeah.
1: No, I I hope to to get this up and running. There are some ones that I
0: found in the last year or two that I've loved. So I've talked about Susie's podcast, Bilingual. I found one called Esta Paraja, Taiwafuchi. Guatemalan Taiwanese Yeah, I've listened to that. <laughs> I think they're so cute. Yeah. It'd be great to have more. Like, I want to listen to something with Taiwan Chang. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Again, I don't have like a title set, but I was trying to decide whether to include some like taiwan or taiwanese in the title but i don't think i will because i think a lot of the things that i talk about probably won't have anything to do with taiwan and sort of envisioning it as again starting out as more of like a diary format where it's just me talking and then once i get a little more comfortable i'll start interviewing my friends because there's yeah i know a lot of crazy interesting people as well i feel like oh i don't really know you know how to ask the right questions or or Things like that that are holding me up, kind of like imposter syndrome.
0: But the first one's definitely the hardest. I'm happy to be your like extra pep talk person.
1: <laughs> my gosh, yeah, no, thank you. I, I yeah, I need to do some more um, just decisions <laughs> about. Okay, this is definitely my first episode, and and like like kind of like the summary about the podcast, podcast title. But yeah, no, I really appreciate your offering to help.
0: Um, okay, I'll let you go. Thanks for spending another 20 minutes with me. Yeah, no worries. This has been great. And yeah, I, I hope to stay in touch. Well, if you come up to Boston, let me know. I
1: traveled to Boston for Thanksgiving. My oh, sister really? lives there. <laughs> yeah, so I took the Amtrak. And... Yeah,
0: I also love taking Amtrak. I did it last year when I broke my ankle. And it's so much more of a comfortable experience than taking the plane.
1: It's like more people than I would like, but it's not that bad because with the, the two seats it's always going to be only one person yeah so there might be someone else in your row but they're in the other like two-seater and it felt very clean and safe i'll definitely keep you posted yes. once i make some more progress with Yay. my podcast. Project. that
0: sounds <laughs> lovely okay sounds good thanks grace i'll talk to you soon yeah good luck in new york thanks so much bye, bye. remember to check out grace's new podcast called stories from a nomadic citizen And that's it for today. Please send me a message on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at T-W-D-I-A-S-P-O-R-A or shoot me an email. It's hello at TaiwaneseDiaspora.com. And if you or other people you know have stories that they'd like to share on this podcast, please send them my way as well. Some of you have asked about how to support the show, so if you are inclined, go to Coffee k-o-fi.com slash t-w-d-i-a-s-p-o-r-a to donate and if you like to read check out my book recommendations at bookshop.org slash shop slash t-w-d-i-a-s-p-o-r-a and 10 percent of the proceeds will come back to support the show all right see you next time